Up next, Tyrod Taylor to get first team reps, and you know that fans of Big Blue assume the sky is starting to fall. We'll break that down. We'll also touch on Colin Johnson as he matches up in the hierarchy of quality big-bodied receivers. Toe-to-toe with Kenny Galladay. We'll see. Not to mention Saquon Barkley and the philosophical question, are we wasting his career? Yes, sir. It's OGP, the one giant podcast, where, of course, we are your host over here. It's Adam Armbrick breaking down the Brooklyn Nets and the Locked On Nets podcast. My boy, Doug, Nori, and yonder there is Mr. Andrew Makowitz, the healthy, wealthy, and wise season generational ticket holder for the New York football giants. How are we, sir? I'll take a breath now. I'm I'm doing it right. I'm a little frustrated. Um, you know, Adam, I just found out that the Red Hot Chili Peppers are playing at MetLife tonight. Had I known a little bit earlier in advance, I could have lined up the babysitter, gone out, had a couple cocktails, listened to Under the Bridge. It would have been a great Wednesday, but here here I sit instead. Nope, not going. First off, um, those dudes being 60-ish, like Flea is still fit as a fiddle, and the dude still wails and twirls with that bass like none other. And also, if you still want to simulate that good time, Take your uh, take your iPhone. I was going to say take your you know, your your iPod, but take your iPhone. Dial up under the bridge and just go physically sit under a bridge nearby. Maybe brown bag it and just kind of have an emotional time for yourself. It could all still work out, I think. That's that's some dark times. You're going early Anthony Kiedis right there. Like I don't know <laughs> if I need to go where he was when live, he wrote that song. Live the experience. Living in a van down by the river is what you're that's saying. Right. I got yeah, it. Yes. Yeah, Chris Farley, this thing. The bottom line is, friends, as we work our way towards the uh, preseason game number two, Cincinnati Bengals are on tap. We know that we're continuing the evaluation process. We talked about some of the cuts yesterday. We're, we're less than two weeks away from getting down to the 53-man roster. And we are staying on topic and on timeline of where things are, but this episode feels like a little bit we're going to discuss some broader narratives around the New York football giants and what's going on right now. What do we mean by that, friends? Well, let me tell you, what we're talking about at this point is going to be first and foremost, number one reps for one Tyrod Taylor. Andrew, I know that you're a big fan of Tyrod Taylor, and you'd prefer that he had been signed to a three, four, Nay, maybe even 10-year contract for the New York Football Giants. Um, break it down here. We're going to talk about Dable's perspective. This was uh, They're saying this was a planned approach, potentially, to preseason game number two for Tyrod Taylor. But we know it ties into the fact, as we continue to discuss, that the offense has struggled in camp to this point. Well, yes. So Brian Table got up in front of the microphone. They asked him, will Tyrod Taylor get any first-team reps? And his quote was, yeah, he'll get. As we go in here in terms of preseason games, we'll talk about whatever we think is best. So what Dayball is basically saying is like, yeah, you know, maybe we'll leave some of the first team out and, and Tyrod Taylor can get a handful of snaps with them. And then all of a sudden, you know, the follow-up question is, is that because of what Daniel Jones's play has been on the field? And Dayball goes on to say, absolutely not. Emphatically, he says that. And he said, I learned from a pretty good coach a while ago. Usually you don't tell these guys uh, when to throw them in because that's what a backup job's role is. You have to go in in a split second and as prepare as if you're the starter. And he basically goes on to say on the fly, it's the best way for them to do it, which I don't disagree with. But what is your I mean, this, apparently on Twitter, the sky is falling after this quote. What is your initial reaction to what Dayball said? 
I'll start with the second part of that first, which is Tyrod Taylor is there to be a legitimate backup. And as we know, Daniel Jones has had injury concerns over the start of his career. And you do want him to have familiarity, especially when you think about the the number ones right now for the Giants. Wondell Robinson, rookie. Daniel Bellinger, rookie, right? Colin Johnson, we're going to talk about in a little bit here. A new player, right? Developing his skill set in a lot of ways. So there's a lot of moving parts, let alone the number ones for the offensive line as well, right? So it always behooves you when you think that this is a safeguard you have in place, just to make sure, right? Because Tyrod Taylor, as we saw in preseason game number one, he can go out there with a cast of characters, has the, the general sense of the system underneath his belt, and he can move that ball around a little bit. This is just an opportunity to confirm that you feel comfortable with them in a worst case scenario. That's that's the first part of it where I start there. I think that that's fine to say, and we could, we could leave it right there if we wanted to. Oh, no. I think that, and this, I, I, it's impossible to have this conversation. This happens a lot over on my other podcast when we talk about narratives around who's responsible or where's the blame lie when you talk about things falling apart in Brooklyn. I think that also something that Brian Dable said from day one when he came in as the Giants head coach was, if you show it in the film room and you show it on the practice field, you get the opportunities on game day. And at the very least, Daniel Jones to this point of the preseason and training camp has not dissuaded any concerns that you may have had about him coming in. And if you're a new coaching staff, it's not like you you walked in the door and said, this dude lit it on fire. We know that we're good to go here, or at least we know that we're progressing. Right now, approaching preseason game number two, Daniel Jones has what? Been 70% mediocre in camp with a couple of bright practices along the way. I think that that's reason enough to say it wouldn't hurt just to make sure that Tyrod Taylor is also getting fully comfortable in the system. So there's a couple of things. The responses are, especially from some of the national media, guys like Colin Cower come out and they say, oh, did you hear that? Tyrod Taylor is getting first team reps. It's the end of Daniel Jones as we know it. And he goes on to argue and say, is Justin Herbert splitting reps with his backup? Is Joe Burrow splitting reps with his backup? And he goes, no, they're not. And guess what, Colin? You are absolutely right. They're not. But Daniel Jones is not Justin Herbert, and he's not Joe Burrow. I think the easy answer to start out with all this is is to say, Daniel Jones has not done enough in the NFL yet to warrant unequivocal first-team reps. He's the bona fide starter no matter what. And and that's the key piece of it. Let's pause right there then, because this is one of the first times that when we have these conversations, like you just acknowledged it. Daniel Jones has not proven that he unequivocally should be the starter of an NFL football team. And I always say, now again, Tyrod Taylor is the backup that we have right now. Best backup we've ever had in recent memory, but he's Tyrod Taylor. I'm not elevating Tyrod Taylor to whatever level, but also if we're if we all agree that Daniel Jones has not done enough where he unequivocally should not be sharing first team reps, then you also like it's not a hard path to follow to get to the place where you go. And that's why it's not a lock that this is automatically his season, automatically his team, automatically he gets every opportunity to be successful inside of this system. There has to be some percentage chance that if he continues to struggle and if Tyrod Taylor continues to look like a veteran quarterback, it does at least start to put the tea leaves out there that Tyrod Taylor could be playing starting 
for the New York football giants at some point this season. And it may not be solely about injury for Daniel Jones. It can come down to performance. I agree 100% with everything that you just said. We are both on the same page podcast over, shut it down. We're good to go. But, but the idea Adam is there is, unless there's an injury, there is a 0% chance that week one against the Tennessee Titans that Tyrod Taylor is starting out there. Like, we can both agree on that. It doesn't matter how poor his performance that. is in preseason. Yes, I, think, I think the goal here is to – yeah, right? this is to allow – this is uh, – Daniel Jones will be afforded every opportunity to lose the job. <laughs> you, I mean, I don't mean that as I think it's going to happen, but that's – you know, you go out there, you don't look so good. Okay, week number two. You still look a little shaky. Week number three, nothing really turns the corner. Okay, like here we are now, right? Yes. And th- this need not be the referendum about what we think is going to happen, but any Giants fan that legitimately is saying there's no way, you know, that one Tyrod Taylor could ever start this year without injury or that if he sees the field, it's not until week 10 at early. No, 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 no. You know, Daniel Jones has to show the growth. He has to show. And it, that bar is a sliding scale based on a new system and everything else. However, there is a there are benchmarks here for Daniel Jones. Joe Shane and Brian Dable do not have a loyalty to this player. I'm sure they prefer that he be successful. But again, in their back of their mind, and I I don't want to go too global here, they're comping what he does right now to every prospect that's coming out. We know how the NFL works. The NFL, the the Giants scouting department is preparing for next year's draft right now. And the quarterback class is a huge part of that. Adam, the simple answer is this. If the Giants start one and five and Daniel Jones has not looked good, how could you not ask the question to put in a capable backup and see if you could right the ship and even be a 500 team? The simple the simple thing that I will say is this. Everyone that is already written Daniel Jones off and that wants Tyrod Taylor to start is the group that I have an issue with. Because if you start Tyrod Taylor, let's not forget, it has been five years since Tyrod Taylor has had a QBR that is average in the NFL, which is a 50 Daniel Jones is one year removed from having an above average QBR. And so what I'm saying is we know what Tyrod Taylor is. He is a very competent backup, and this is not to slight him at all. The idea is if Daniel Jones can ever unlock the potential of what Daniel Jones can be, it has the ability to be a playoff team. I think with Tyrod Taylor, our ceiling is what? Seven, maybe eight games. I think if Daniel Jones unlocks it, it's 10 or 11 games. And that's why you have to give Daniel Jones the opportunity to see if it's there, because if it's not, the giants aren't going to make the playoffs anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that, it, maybe that is the way the, the case we look at it. We got bold there with 11, you know, just 11, you know, you said 10, you know, 11. Yeah. But sure, why not? trying to show the, the disparity between yeah. the two. Like, and by the way, like, yeah. And whatever that margin is, and we, and we said this before, right? Tyrod Taylor, if you're on YouTube, his floor and ceiling are, are tighter together but his floor is much higher than Daniel yes. Jones. Daniel Jones' theoretical ceiling is way up there somewhere, we think, but also the floor could be the absolute bottom of the dog pile. By the way, just quickly, not even quickly, before we move on to some other conversations, Daniel Jones, here, here's what I also think is fascinating about this and something that I think Giants fans should be comfortable with. And we've had other, because we have a really wide demographic that, that listens to the podcast, that follows us on YouTube, and, and fans that go back go back to Phil Simms days, and not even just go back to being alive when Phil Simms was playing. They were old enough to really be watching it and see how quarterbacks struggle and they take time to develop, and I understand and appreciate that. But one thing I think is important to remember, Daniel Jones came out with a pros- prospect grade, excuse me, of 6.30. 
that's regarded as will eventually be a plus starter in the league. So you can take that and say like, right, like eventually he will be. And maybe with all the circumstances we've seen, that's why it's taking longer to get to that point. It's also worth reminding that you're only one step away from maybe saying being a good backup with potential to develop into a starter is a 6.19, right? So you're marginally ahead of saying you think that you can get there. The big caveat that I want to throw in here, though, is along with that, when you have a prospect grade like that, you're regarded as a first or second round prospect, including even as being a quarterback. And I think something that's happening here, too, is we spent the capital. Right. Like we spent the sixth overall pick on this kid. So you feel even more married to going down the road with it. And I think at some point, the same way we're talking about Tyrod Taylor is what he is. We're we're not we're not sending the kid to the Pro Bowl or putting him in the Hall of Fame. But Daniel Jones is what he is as well. We're not putting him in the Pro Bowl or sending to the Hall of Fame. The potential is there. But at a certain point, you got to dismiss everything from coming into the NFL and say, what do I see when you're on the field right now? It's been an uncomfortable mixed bag. And I know fans are going to say, remember those first four weeks last year? You know, I'll I'll say two things to you. Yes. When you go and look at those stats, the yardage is great. The completion percentage. Okay. It's there. They weren't winning all those games. And that, and that counts for something too, right? It's the hard thing. When we talk about a Kirk Cousins or a Jimmy G, we go, God, I wouldn't want to be my franchise quarterback for all that money. Also, they do know how to go out and win ball games. Look, I I am. I feel a certain way about Daniel Jones. I want him to succeed you close, because I'm a giant fan. Thing at the end of the day, you almost no, the no, the day. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, I was going to say to close this out because I I just want to give my final thoughts on this yeah, piece yeah. of it. Is it is I I am a, 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 a pro. Dan, I'm in the pro Daniel Jones club. I think he has the potential to be there. I want to see it so badly that maybe that makes me a little bit more biased. But I will say this: it is year four. We have made excuses about coaching staffs, offensive lines, weapons not being healthy for three straight years. At some point, it is what it is, as you just pointed out. And if year four, things don't get better, whether or not Daniel Jones ever has it in him doesn't even matter. It's not even the relevant talking point anymore. It's sometimes just time to move on. So for me, that's where I'm going to leave it. Daniel Jones has to show it. And if he doesn't, we have to move on whether or not I think he's got the potential in him. And we all know that Joe Burrow was a better prospect that had way higher expectations totally. coming out, right? But what were the expectations for the Cincinnati Bengals? To go to the Super Bowl? No effing way. But Joe Burrow got them there. And right. that's a big piece of it, too. What are the Giants' expectations? Four wins? Okay, great. Daniel Jones, go out and win me six, right? That's what I'm talking about, about seeing the improvement. That's more than enough for me to continue to hang my hat back on Daniel Jones. I want him to be successful. If we're talking about the analytics and the emotion of this podcast, the emotions, which I think you effectively are representing here. I want Daniel Jones to be good. I want him to be the franchise guy. I don't want to feel like we wasted a pick and I like him. He he does everything the right way. The analytics tell me historically, this is not a path to a franchise quarterback. All right. The other then news that we want to talk about here is the wide receiver room. And there's a couple of angles that we want to do here first. Let's turn on the positive side. I was today year today's years old, uh, Andy, when I learned that Colin Johnson is 24 years old. It feels like this is one of those veteran guys that stumbled into camp, a CJ board type of guy, right? CJ boards, 28 years old, a little bit of special teams value, et cetera. Cut two. You realize that Colin Johnson is young, came out of Texas, obviously has the measurables. He was a sixth-round draft projection, bounced around before he came over to the New York Football Giants. But I wanted to read off a couple of things. Top strengths, exceptional size and length. 
Father was a 10-year NFL veteran. That's kind of a footnote, but uses his hands to dismiss press jabs and understands route leverage and how to create it. Okay, let's just leave it there. Physical player. Weaknesses, leggy in the release, can be mirrored and shadowed by press. Gawky short area movements and underneath routes. Very little hip sink into breaks and not elusive after the catch and also lacks separation. You see it if you're watching on YouTube. I said KG light. Because doesn't that feel like, like, doesn't this feel like the the kind of attributes you would put on Kenny Galladay where four years from now, Colin Johnson may not be the type of receiver you want on your roster, but he might be exactly what you need on your roster right now because he's younger and whatever's going to diminish over time. It's not there yet. So you're going to get, you're getting the max value here for this kid. It's so funny because as you're reading that, I thought you were trying to do a little gotcha for me. And I thought you were reading Kenny Galladay's scouting report coming out because you're exactly right. It's like a mirror image. It's like, they're not super athletic or elusive, but they're a big bodied wide receiver that can go up and get a ball. Like think about it. Kenny Galladay, six, five, two, 14. Colin Johnson is six, six, two, 20. They're like, almost identical. If you took the names off the back of the Jersey, they look very, very similar and they have the same style of play. And yeah, we, I think we, um, we claim Colin Johnson off, off of the Jaguars when they waved him. Yes, Jaguars. Um, and, and that's how he came into camp. He's still very, very young coming out of Texas. Like we talked about a while ago, you saying, well, maybe Darius Slayton is the backup for Kenny Galladay. He could be that, you know, big body wide receiver. Maybe that's, that's the route. You know, Colin Johnson only ran like a five, four, five, five, almost a four, six. He is not a burner. He is so similar to Kenny Galladay. And and that's why it's interesting seeing him show up in the first preseason game. You keep hearing his name in camp. I'm not going to go crazy over the top on Colin Johnson yet, because we're talking about a couple weeks sample size where he started to step up. I need to see more of this in the preseason. I need to see it in a real NFL game, but it is interesting with all of the Kenny Galladay struggles there is a guy that comes very similarly to him that maybe we can plug in and get some of the production that we're hoping for from Kenny Galladay. Of course. And when you heard Art Stapleton like kind of tell Giants fans, let's not get over our skis here about Colin Johnson, but it was the reminder. He is young. And, and I'm reading a description of him coming out of college. Listen, he said we pick him up off the practice squad for the Jaguars. If he's doing the work, it looks like he is right. Some of the things you talk about in the negative sides of it, well, we've seen him get downfield in practice and make contested catches in the end zone. Right. And some of what we've seen him do in the preseason game, a lot of that short area work, it's about using your size, shielding off the defender, creating a safe place for the, for the quarterback to put it and just feeling like you have a reliability and consistency there. And we had talked about him developing a rapport with Daniel Jones. That's important. And we even saw him also do it with Tyrod Taylor. Now, that was the positive side of it. As you see, the start of this conversation is KG light because maybe it's KG plus. We don't know. KG ultra. Kenny Galladay continues to struggle in camp. I, I know this is not a told you so moment, but we've had this conversation on what Kenny Galladay needs to be in order for this team to be successful. I just, I didn't want you to put your eggs in that basket because I didn't think it was going to necessarily be the case. Now we're getting a lot of interviews. I, I have a very clear thought about what is happening right now around Kenny Galladay, but we can hit a few of these different quotes here when they're asking him after practices, how are we feeling? How's it looking? Preseason game drops, practice drops, et cetera. 
where, where are we in the Kenny? What is the now becoming, I think, the Kenny Galladay kind of saga here over the course of training camp? Yeah, it was interesting because it felt like very candid conversation from Kenny Galladay where they kind of asked him how he's feeling, what's going on, leading the witness, knowing that he's been struggling. And he said, <laughs> you know, giant fans, quote unquote, haven't seen the real KG yet. And I think that's a very true statement that we have not seen anywhere near the guy that was that was catching, you know, double digit touchdowns in Detroit. And, you know, Jordan Renan put out a tweet that basically said, you know, while they haven't seen the real KG yet, he added that he has, quote unquote, a lot to prove and doesn't worry about outside noise because he is his own harshest critic. And Adam, when you hear that, you're like, okay, he's saying the right things. Like I put the pressure on myself. I'm not worried about what the fans are saying. They haven't seen me perform at a high level. All of those things are good. And yet it kind of still leaves me being like, yes, but we still need to see something on the field, right? Like that is the only way that you turn this narrative around. It's not about talking about like, I know I'm underperforming or I haven't done it. It's about showing it out on the field, right? Yeah. And so I'm going to hit a couple of quotes here from him. And then I want to contextualize this in a way that I think is, is, is going to be damning potentially for how things unfold here. First, when we talk about going down the field, trying to make that play, Adoree Jackson came in and poked the ball away from him. I was pissed, said Galladay. I went down there and I grabbed it and Adoree came up and made it, made a play and made it into a little bit of a fumble. So yeah, I was pissed because it would have been a big completion for us. Also went on to say, I definitely wish I would have come up with it. Galladay said before noting he might have he might have quibbled with the route he ran in conjunction with rookie Wandale Robinson and Colin Johnson. So uh, it wait, is there is there such thing as a little fumble or a, a big fumble? Because he's like, oh, it's just kind of a little fumble. A little it's fumble? like, oh, it kind of uh, in the first preseason game, I just had a little drop on the goal line. Like, is it a yeah, little drop or is it drop. just a drop? Like, you know what? <laughs> you know what? It, it, it fumbles probably not drops little drop on your on your own 35. That is a little drop, little drop going into the end zone for six. That's a big drop, right? Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, and by the way, fumbles. Guess what? They're all the same. Fumble right. it on your own 15. Fumble it on their 15. It's all big terrible. Fumble. Big, big fumble. fumble. Big fumble. So I don't so, know if there's such a thing as a little fumble, but go on. No, and so and so here's here's my problem. That might my problem. I'm just here's my observation. You got you have competing ideologies here now. Kenny Galladay knows he's underperformed. He wants to be better. If you ask Kenny Galladay right now, take it for what it's worth. Who do you want to be throwing you the ball? He wants Tyrod Taylor throwing in the ball for the simple reason that Tyrod Taylor in this moment would probably give him the best chance to look good. Not about winning games, not about team, not about being productive. Best chance for Kenny Galladay to look like he can still be a high-level wide receiver because he's still dreaming on getting released after this season and going and getting another sizable contract. When you hear him quibbling about route combinations, the legitimate side of that is Wondell Robinson, a rookie, Colin Johnson, we just said, young player, developing. So there can be frustrations here for a veteran wide receiver that essentially is a surrounded, even with Kadarius Tony, who's electric, but he's a second year wide receiver and hasn't been out there consistently. Daniel Bellinger is a rookie tight end, right? You're surrounded by youth. So there, I understand Kenny Galladay looking there and being like, listen, man, there's a lot of things going on out there that are out of my control that sometimes put me in bad spots. Here's the problem is that you're dropping the passes, right? Like the ball got there and you didn't make the completion. The ball got to your hands and you allowed Adore Jackson to, to come away with it. My concern right now is, and this is the way it happens, man, blood in the water. The media is descending on Kenny Galladay and beating him from every angle about how he's struggling. He knows he has to do better, but at some point, man, 
the $21 million on paper receiver. You think he wants to sit around all camp long, getting his butt kicked verbally and otherwise you you're getting really close to a player. That's going to start to check out potentially. And we've never, I don't think this has been a part of Kenny Galladay's personality, but you get into those games and the ball doesn't go your way. A couple of drops, regular season, et cetera. There's going to start to be that back and forth about who's responsible. Is it on the quarterback? Is the timing right? And I'm not saying that the team or Brian Dable can't handle that, but this, 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 um, it's, this could deteriorate very quickly here. And, and you have to be prepared for that. If you're the giants, the biggest issue, Adam, is that it has the potential to, as you mentioned, to get much worse. And I think it may get worse because yeah. not only of what you just mentioned, but also the scheme that the giants are running is not conducive to Kenny Galladay's skill set. It Some, is not. Yeah, this is going think, away from that big bodied, slow moving target. Yep. Th- you yep. think about what what is Stefan Diggs really good at? He is an amazing route runner. He knows how to get down the field, amazing speed, good out of the break, runs runs great routes. You look at a guy like Tyreek Hill. Why was he successful in Mike Kafka's office? Obviously, he's a speed burner. He gets out there. there the, the way the Giants have been working in the preseason, Adam, has been all short quick routes, get the ball in playmakers' hands, make moves, move the chains that way. It's not hold the ball, let a guy get completely vertical, go throw up a 50-50 ball and make a catch. And so the problem is if Kenny Galladay's best skill set is high-pointing deep balls because he can't get separation, but the offense is predicated on getting separation quickly and getting the ball in their hands, you're never going to realize his skill set. So it's almost they signed him. The previous regime put $21 million on him but he doesn't fit what the Giants are trying to do, regardless of what his age is. Last note here. You put emphasis on everything, Dable said. Practice, ultimately, it's the games when you get into live action. But everything right now is a competition. So the people that are doing the best, and again, your best might be a little different than my best. He's improving, but all those guys are going to compete. We're talking about a scenario where, and here's the last footnote, because I don't want to get into the Saquon Barkley piece to close things out. The worst case scenario is also unfolding in the sense of, I think you're right. Maybe you don't fit our system and where we're going long-term. We're also not putting any worthwhile tape out there for another team to say, okay, he's not a $21 million guy, but he could be worth X in our system. He could work for us right now. It looks like he's a shell of himself as opposed to not being a schematic fit for the New York football giants. Again, with both these narratives from the top, Daniel Jones, Kenny Galladay, anybody. Another preseason game, another opportunity to start to turn the narrative. Another couple of weeks here, but a couple of weeks, right? At some point, the sample size becomes the truth, not the potential. I want to get into here to close this out because I really do think that this is an interesting one as well. Saquon Barkley. So we talked about this. Go back to last year. I said, if you get him on the field and you can trade him away, you should do it. That's the previous regime they're not going to. I said ahead of the draft, if you can do it, okay. But ultimately, we realize showcasing the talent is maybe the best way to get value if you're going to trade him. But I even said last episode, boy, if Daniel Jones doesn't work out and you bring in a rookie, Saquon Barkley is obviously the kind of elite talent at running back that you would want to have supporting a young QB. And yet, for a guy who's had his injuries, so it's not like it's just solely on the team himself itself. But when you go back and look at, you know, a guy that gave you 1,300 yards rushing in his rookie year, over 2,000 all-purpose, that gave you 1,000 rushing yards and almost 450 receiving yards, and that came back even last year and gave you almost 1,000 total yards from the line of scrimmage, only played in 13 games, first season back from the injury, obviously. 
you know, we talk so much about what's happening with Daniel Jones. Let's be real. I think that like we could be dangerously close to walking into another season where Saquon Barkley is far closer to his rookie year than his than last year. And it doesn't effing matter because the team still doesn't have its quarterback, right? They still don't have these other boxes checked. And that's not the fault of Joe Shane or this coaching staff, but it's just a reality. I know that Barkley got hurt, but we're going to talk about looking back potentially after the 2022 season saying you essentially had him for four out of five years, fully healthy, mostly healthy last year. And it never mattered. It's just a wasted talent. And if I'm Saquon Barkley and I look good coming out the gates, man, I don't know if I'm not quietly behind the scenes saying, man, unless we're talking about the big payday and you want me to be the face of this franchise, I also want to win games, right? I also want to be a guy that gets to play off football, something that he has not had an opportunity to do with the New York Giants. So it's a very interesting question because we talk about should he stay, should he go Thank from you. a Giants standpoint. But when you talk about Saquon Barkley, the from player himself, <laughs> yeah, like what is yeah. what does he want? Now, it, it's it's an interesting thought because it is wasted talent if he's wasting away with all this electric potential on a team that's winning five or six games every year. Maybe he does want to go play for a contender. And that makes me think of guys like Barry Sanders, you know, very yeah. similar where he played his whole year in Detroit and he was electric. But what did it do for Detroit? Like they couldn't win games. And eventually he was like, that's it. I'm out of here. Like I can't put this pounding on my body when we're winning six games every year. Now, what I will say about Saquon is, he feels to me, obviously, a guy from the Bronx who went to Penn State, who got drafted by the New York Giants. It feels like he cares more about legacy with one organization than he does necessarily about bouncing to the Broncos and winning some games or bouncing to, you know, the Chargers for a little bit. Like to me, it seems like he would say, I want to be here so that when we turn this around, everyone looks at me and says, I played for one team. I was good. I was with the good and the bad. And I was part of the solution to get this back on track. And he gets his jersey retired in the ring of honor. Like I see him wanting that more than saying, send me to the Miami Dolphins so that I could go play for the Dolphins for two seasons and try to make the playoffs. Speaking of ring of honor, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Some guys going in for the New York football giants this season, including a running back of the past. I agree with you with this caveat. When this season ends, Saquon Barkley's career earnings off of his rookie contract it's going to be a total of what? $38 million, uh, $38 million on the cap number, right? In total. And guess what, guys? That's a lot of that's a lot of cheddar. That's a lot of quiche, as they like to say, right? However, yeah, my legacy matters as long as the check is right. Because if he has a year that other teams look at and go, you know what? We could throw and maybe it's shorter term contract, but bigger dollars. That's what that that's what's going to play a big factor here. Because if Saquon was already on, say, his second contract, I think that things would look a little bit different. And then you can ride it out at that point. So it's, it's just interesting to me. And by the way, if we're having this conversation and we're to still Andrews Thunder a little bit at the end of the day, thinking about what this season is going to mean for so many of these players, it's about wasted potential, right? Saquon's shown it to a far greater extent than Daniel Jones has, Jones has, but the Giants have wasted it, injuries or otherwise. Daniel Jones, first round pick, maybe shouldn't have gone that high, but wasted talent and opportunity. How far are we away from talking about some other players on this roster? Xavier McKinney, wasting 
the youth of his career because the team isn't ready yet. Leonard Williams, a veteran experienced player, already wasted several years in big blue after wasting time with the New York Jets. This is a narrative that I really want this organization and this coaching staff to be able to buck the trend on. And it need not be everybody and maybe not all the highest profile names on this roster, but you want to feel like we're going to maximize Wandale Robinson and Daniel Bellinger and Evan Neal and Andrew Thomas, right? We want to be able to say that these guys are not only going to be successful individually, but they're going to help the Giants be successful over the next handful of seasons. That's what matters most, I think, to Giants fans. Yeah, and at the end of the day, Adam, it's simple. There's there's these rookie classes that we draft that don't see success. And imagine we go seven years, eight years without making the playoffs or even like having the, the, the show of promise. There's going to be a whole generation or iteration of giants that have come through and don't understand how good it was in the late eighties, early nineties and two thousands when the giants were winning super bowls. And that's disappointing yeah. to me that like their legacy will winning be super bowls competitive, right? And their legacy will be, we were there during the worst times and we never got to really truly understand how passionate the fan base can be, how great it is to get the ticker tape parade as a giant. It's just something that Eli Manning, experience and said i never want to play for another team because when it's good in new york man it is sweet got to give those guys the taste to make them want to stick around saquon barkley included you head over to youtube you subscribe to the channel you get the podcast on your feeds wherever you get those needs fulfilled you share it with everybody it's free to do it really helps us we'll continue to break this stuff down we know we got that preseason game on tap and plenty of news and notes coming out of camp along the way until next time though friends Thank you for making yesterday's episode an incredibly uh, high-rated one for us. We really appreciate it as we build towards the regular season. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.